0: Guys, praise God. And uh, so tonight is a night that I said I was going to be, they said casting vision, but with me, uh, do I have a a music stand so I can sing? All right, good deal. Uh, That uh, I was going to cast vision. Really, what I'm going to do is set goals. What is vision, though? Well, vision is not what you see. Vision is how you arrive at a goal. Vision is the process of reaching a goal. So sometimes people throw out what, they're going, what they see, but that gives us no indication of how we're going to get there. So vision is, in this case, is going to be a metamorphosis or an, evol- an evolution. In other words, it's going to start with the declaration of a goal, and we are going to set our hands to it, And there'll be adjustments because nothing gets to the end without being adjusted. Nothing comes to a perfect end without being adjusted. So we are going to start these things and we're going to set our hands to them. It's kind of something new for me because I've really never been a big goal setter. I just take every day one at a time and figure if I make it to the end and I lay my head down, And I commune with God and say, God, did I miss anything today? And if I haven't, then I know I start fresh tomorrow. And if I have, then I have grace to start tomorrow. So, and I'm, so I'm not really worried about where I end up in life. I just know I'll end up in heaven. Hallelujah. So the first thing, and if you can get your fingers ready, because we're going to be throwing these scriptures on the screens of the first thing that we are going to do, more emphatically than we have probably done in the past, when God first brought me here, he told me to do one thing. He never asked me to do anything else. He said, I want you to build me a church. And uh, I said, okay, I don't know anything. He said, that's okay. Most people don't either. So I started building a church. Uh, we didn't have a children's church, didn't have anything. Finally, there were just so many children. People said, don't you think we could have a place for children? I said, well, mm, I don't know. Uh, you can do it if you want. So somebody started, Nikki did, I think, started the children's church in somebody's house across the street because I just didn't care. I said, look, God told me to preach the gospel, and, you know, whatever happens in between that, I don't know. So he didn't tell me to start a children's church. So... Evidently, he told Nikki, so she started the children's church. But uh, God brought me here, and he told me to do this. He told me to preach faith. Told me to preach faith because of the explosion of doubt in the body of Christ. And we see that many times, you know, all over the world today with doubt dominating man. Doubt is the basic cause of all sin. The basic cause of all compromise. The basic cause of every offense. The basic cause of every division. It is really not the devil. It is the doubt of people in God. And so I'm going to remedy that I'm going to start preaching faith again very heavily. And... uh You know, now that brings a lot of attacks on people, but they don't think I'm right in the head anyway. You know, so, uh, but I'm going to start preaching again because doubt, I believe, is going to be destroyed by the grace of God. Hebrews, the 11th chapter, verse 6, very common passage of Scripture, says... That without faith, it's impossible to please God. It doesn't matter what you're doing, if it is not faith based, you are not pleasing God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him or acknowledge that he is and walk by his instruction. That's who God rewards. And I believe that the church can rise to the place that the world says these are Christians. Amen. Amen. And so I'm going to begin to preach faith. And hopefully you're going to lay hold of it and see your lives transformed. And uh, the other is that if you go to Ephesians 3:16, So faith is going to be connected to everything that we do. And, uh, and then it says... And that He would grant unto you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts by what? Amen. Notice that without the assistance of God, go back to verse 16, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might that by His Spirit in the inner man. If there is not this commune with God, if there is not this gelling with God, this union with God in a full surrender of faith and confidence, then understand that that strength is never infused in the inner being of any believer. Therefore, Christ will not be able to stay resident in people that are not strengthened with something greater than desire and decision. Now, next verse. I know you say, oh, that's crazy. Well, it's really not if we just read the Bible. Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. So you can't preach on faith without preaching on love. And I've made this statement several weeks ago uh, on a week that everybody thought I had lost my mind which I had not lost my mind, uh, kind of Jesus said things like that too, like, uh, you know, you don't follow me for miracles or for the teaching, you just follow me for bread. In other words, you just follow me to get something and give nothing. Right. And, uh, but it says that we have to be rooted and grounded in love. So you have to preach love. And the reason that the body of Christ has not ascended to Christ-likeness is because there is no progressive change going on from member to member because of a lack of love. You find that in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, that says we are to edify the body itself is to be self-promotive, self-energetic, self-perpetual in change into the likeness of Christ by every member. But because of a lack of love, there are these breaking of these channels between believers. It's not easy to love. We live in a loveless society. Now, we live in a very lustful, motivated society, but very few things are motivated by love. And if we are ever going to be what God wants us to be and that Christ dwells in us and we live rooted and grounded in faith, then we're going to have to love people. And so I cannot preach faith without preaching a conversion from who we are, self-survivalists, to loving. And that means that all of us, love is a participation. If you don't participate, then you simply are not successful in your life with Christ. And, uh, you know, well, well, we get hurt by people. I know it. Quentin and I were talking about divorce the other day and And uh, he said, what do you think about that, Papa? I said, look, before you even talk to people, just write down, do you want a divorce? If they say, well, yeah, I'll say, well, here, you can get it at $5.99 at the drugstore. I said, but if they don't want divorce, then God will help them. I said, but Quentin, you can't help people that opt out of the potential of God in their life. I said, and no matter how hurtful love is, a life without it is miserable. Amen. Great job. So you might be divorced 10 times and still fall in love, but what if I get hurt again? It's worth the hurt. Amen. A life without love is simply a life without an experience of what God created you to be. Amen. Now, so next verse that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints. Now, how does that happen? Out of preaching faith, preaching love. Then we begin to be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the height, the breadth, and the length, and the depth, and the height, and to know the love of Christ. Everything produced after after its own kind. When you begin to love your brothers, then you begin to experience the love of Christ, which passes all knowledge, that you might be filled with all the what. The fullness of God. If we are ever going to grow up, now I think that the reason that this is happening right now and that God is saying, look, I want you to set things in motion, is because every generation comes to a pivotal point that when the adversary is coming, see, the adversary, if he is going to destroy faith, we think he's just going to destroy it in us. That's never been his plan, never been his his, uh, profile. If he wants to destroy faith in God, he doesn't destroy the generation that has it. He reaches back and destroys the generation that is coming after them. You can see that when Pharaoh slew every child under the age of two. He was after the deliverer. That would be the foundation of faith. When Jesus came, Herod did the very same thing. Why? Because he was after the foundation of faith. Jesus came to bring faith to mankind. To restore Righteousness. So, we have to understand that what the devil is doing now, he's done in generations and centuries past. He is after a generation. He is after our generation because if he captivates them, he will eradicate faith off of this earth. That's why Jesus said, when I come, will I find faith? He wasn't talking to, hey, when I come, will you still be hanging on? When I come, will you have done what the father of faith hath done for his children. That was the big challenge, and that is our challenge today. And 70 to 80% of children raised in Christian homes believe that Jesus Christ is an alternative, and he is an option, but he is not the singular way. Now, that happens many ways because they see hypocrisy in the house, They see dissension in the house. They see division in the house. They hear division. They hear mumbling, complaining, and all this. So if we're going to live in the arena of faith and love, then we, all of us, have got to be ready for transition in our life. And it's coming a time when we have to choose if you want to go back and live with the dead, you get to do that or we could press on and follow Jesus. Amen. Okay, so the first thing we're going to do is we are going to preach faith, and out of preaching faith, we're going to preach love. And as we start combining those two, we're going to see, as it were, an infusion of maturity maturity and transformation in our life. And uh, so it, it's going to be a, a great journey. Uh, Go to Colossians 2, 6 through 7, if you would. Uh, This, again, has so much. Remember that Paul said anything that is without faith is sin. Why? Because doubt replaces faith. And if doubt is greater than faith in your life, you're always going to be battling transgression. And as you have therefore received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built in him, established in the what faith as you have been what taught abounding therein with thanksgiving so when we preach faith we couple it with love and out of that comes the well springs of the discovery the height the depth the length and the width of the love of God which causes men and women to be grateful or to be expressive in their gratitude All right, let's go to Romans 1, 16 through 17, then we're going to get on to point 2. Romans 1, 16 and 17. And it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto total salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to what? Another important fact why faith needs to be preached coupled with love is that we'll never ascend from righteousness to righteousness, from sanctification to sanctification, purity to purity, from the old man to the new man, from glory to glory, except faith is its foundation. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. And I believe that that means that we can have abundant life And we can live off of sources other than this world. So that's the first thing we're going to do. And uh, the second thing we're going to do is this. We are going to win every soul in the earth. We're, We're not going to count on somebody else doing their part. We aren't going to. We have to believe that we are the people that have taken the mantle churches are community churches churches are local churches but very few churches are world churches Uh, it it takes grit to be a world church and uh, so in that is Mark 16 15 if I could have that on the screen and uh, Jesus is teaching and talking to somebody the question would be who's he talking to Uh, if you are uh, believe that this is not the original script and that it was added, then Jesus is talking to nobody. Man is talking. But Jesus said unto them, Go ye into all the world. Somebody say, all the world. All the world. What does that mean? All the world. Yeah, thank you. That that means all the world. But your world is Jerusalem. In, no, no, no. All the world. And the world and preach the gospel to every creature next verse he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved he that believeth not shall be damned and these signs shall follow them that believe in my name they shall cast out devils they shall speak with new tongues and they shall take up serpents and if they drink any deadly thing it shall not hurt them they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover and after And so after that the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up unto heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth, preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs. following a man. You say, Pastor, you haven't said anything you haven't already been doing all the time. Well, in one sense, you're right. But in the other sense is that I'm calling our attention to that there is a divine commandment, not an option to go to the world. Now, I have been chided, corrected, rebuked for going to the world. I don't want a pastor going everywhere. I want somebody who's going to be home. The kingdom is bigger than you. And I hate to say that, but the bottom line is we have got to win the world. Amen. It's nobody else's job except ours. Well, how can we do that? Paul did it in a lifetime. He connected with two-thirds of the world and preached the gospel. If one man can do it, a congregation can do it. Amen? And uh, so that is the first thing. The second thing is the nature of Jesus. See, on a Sunday morning, I get to preach the gospel. The conflict comes is that I don't get to preach your gospel. I don't get to preach the gospel that you need on that Sunday. The reason is, it's not Jesus' nature to keep pumping air into those that are already inflated. He says he leaves the 99 and he goes after the 1. So sometimes when a rebuke or chastisement comes and you get all your feathers up in and, you know, and the wind blows up your tail feathers and you got a chill, Jesus isn't after you. There's somebody on the edge of losing. I've had families come in the office since six weeks ago and said, Pastor, I want to tell you something. Our family was one of those families on the edge doing nothing. And I want to thank you that you had enough guts to stand up there and let God speak to my family. Now I had hundreds of those, but I also had hundreds of negative, because a hundred negative wanted bread, yet they didn't need bread. Their bellies were full. So, Jesus leaves 99 and speaks to one. If Jesus speaks to one sinner and one sinner gets saved and the whole Colosseum received nothing, it was worth one soul. So, before everybody throws stones at the pulpit, please understand Jesus is more concerned about a lost soul on the edge than he is a fat lamb. Land in green pastures yeah so for all the judgment you think you have we need to realize people are not where you are and they don't need what you think you need and sometimes we've got so much encouragement it's kind of like this the sheep get so fat they don't even hear the dinner bell ring yeah But, thank God that he looks beyond the 99 and he says, you see that one right there? They're not going to make it another month. I hear them talk. I see their fires burning low. I see their lamps running out of oil. I see the discouragement that they're receiving because they aren't experiencing me on a Sunday morning. Who does Jesus go after? Not the rich and the fat. He's after that one soul. He's after that one family. He's after that one group. Yeah. Listen. You say, "Well, Jesus wasn't wasn't hard, really." Yeah. You follow me for the bread, but not for the miracles in the word. "Your generation of vipers," he said. And his disciples said, don't you know you offended them? He said, well, if they could be offended, I guess they got to be offended. We need to have a little love and consider other people that if we're in the midst of a crowd, Jesus might be doing something sovereignly to rescue a broken soul. Yeah. So, one thing we're going to do is Jesus' nature is he leaves the 99, and he goes after the 1. Now, uh, David, how many backsliders you know? A few. A few. Quite a few. Yeah, uh, quite a few. Just say a, mega bunch. a mega bunch. Yeah. Now, the Bible says, if you see your brother sin, is separating themselves from God and going back to the world a transgression? yes it's transgression but we as believers not just as the church I'm talking to the body of Christ as much as I'm talking to the church so don't get all bummed out and all condemned oh I just can't believe no no we see them go and we do not go and so we David if you know them it is your job to reach out to them and to restore that brother because considering that you yourself are a man you could be estranged from God even though you're not planning it but you could end up in the same state that they're end up would you want somebody to come after you okay and you would say well they're hurt well then you know what we do we recover we repair We mend and we root them in. Amen. Amen? Amen? Absolutely. So it is our job to call sinners and backsliders to repentance. If you know your brother is offended and has separated, the word offend means to forsake his faith, lay it down, walk away very closely related to the word apostasy. If you see a brother forsaking the faith, then you need to go after him. Remember, Jesus said to sow a seed. It's on shallow ground, and they immediately they are offended. That means immediately they forsake the faith that was just infused. Now, that brings us to the place of a decision, a passionate one, and one that needs to be followed through Are we going to be people of obedience or are we just going to be a group of religious do-nothing? These goals are not going to come to pass because I say them. They're going to come to pass because you as a congregation say, this is the purpose and the plan of God for our church and it demands that we all participate. Amen. Amen. Amen? We aren't looking to leave sheep scattered everywhere. We're looking... Kind of like the servicemen, not to leave one Christian behind, Hallelujah. not to leave but one, not one Christian behind. Paul said this, "I wish to God that I myself was separated, if Israel could come back together. You understand that type of passion, that he himself would face damnation if the nation would just come back. He was talking to backslidden Israel. Backsliders are important because Jesus said, it's better you have never known me than to have known me and forsaken me. Well, they'll just say they got offended, they got hurt, sit down with them and work through it. Some of us are are more diligent getting dog food on a sale than, than we are reaching out and bringing people back to the kingdom of God. Amen? And so... Is going to be our job not just to win every soul, not to leave one behind. And it's not going to just have to be a third of the church or a half of the church, it's going to have to be all the church. Say, Well, I can't get out. Then you got a telephone. Pick it up and call people. Have them come to your house. Do whatever you have to do. But let us not enter into eternity with blood dripping from our hands. Now, now, some of you say, well, you're just... Heard. No, no, I'm talking reality. These are things that God said would happen to us. Now, I don't know how faithful you think God is, but God is God. Amen. Amen? He says what He says. He means what He says. And He's going to do what He says. Just as we are who He says we are, we can do what He says we can do, we can have what He says He can do. Well, God is faithful. Amen. And if God said this is going to happen, it's going to happen. Amen? Well, God understands. Okay. Yep. I understand. Yep. He does understand. But he doesn't understand that. Nothing is more important than a soul. How many of you have ever said, well, Jesus would come and die for one if that's all there was? Well, we should die for that one. Amen? So let's get about the Father's business. Let's get the sheep out of the mouths of wolves and let's bring them back into the kingdom of God before they get any colder than they are. Amen? Amen? That's what I mean. It can't be three or four people. It's going to have to be a congregation. All right. The third thing that we're going to do, our goal is, is that we are going, I didn't know that Kylan had this, but he informed me, oh, Pastor, I had that years ago. So, you know, Kylan is ahead of everybody, but I'm trying to catch up to him. And uh, so I have been thinking, and I've been rattling my brain. Some of you say, that ain't much of a rattle. It, It might not be, but I've been striving to lay hold of my mind because that God asked me about three months ago, you know what, you've been a great cross bearer. Are you ready to be a cross hanger? And I said, mm, no. I said, I can't wrap my mind about around that. What would I be? Who would I be? What would happen to my family? What would happen to things I like doing? And so I am still in the process. You say, oh, I would just do it. Okay, do it. Not as easy as you think. If I'm going to war with myself and with the adversary to be able to get on the cross and stay there, then I have to weigh out the cost. Because the hanging on the cross is not about me at all. It's all about others. And, you know, I have to evaluate. Am I willing to love people as much as that requires? I mean, I don't have anything against people. I love people. I'm unoffendable. People can't make me mad. They hurt me, but I just lick it and get on with it. But do I love them enough to crawl on the cross and sacrifice myself for everyone else's totality of liberty and freedom in redemption? I don't know. I'm still wrestling in my mind. Well, I would just get up there and do it. Well, you have a cross. Climb up there and do it. I'm just telling you, for me, I'm weighing it out. But I begin to seek and say, God, you know, what can I do to make an impact to change people? And God began to speak to me about being vertical And Kylan told me it's vertical, inward, and outward. And so I had written down vertical, personal change, and then to the world. Because you can't go to the world without Jesus being real to you. And so we are going to start transforming ourselves. Instead of being like this on Sunday morning, we're going to start being like this on Sunday morning. Now, here's the reason. The Bible says this. God inhabits the praises of his people. Now, do you know what that means? Can I have that on the screen? Uh, Psalms 22, verse 3. Psalms 22, verse 3. We think that we know, but thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest, the praises of israel do you realize that that is an invitation that god tells israel that they must present for him to come god inhabits the praises of his people if we flip that over it would say this but if you don't wholeheartedly do it i'm not coming that's true is is Daniel, tell me what that says. It's an invitation from God. Do you want me to inhabit your life? When God comes, he doesn't be enthroned in our praise. He ascends upon us. Because while we are worshiping, what God is doing is, is transforming us. And when we start worshiping God, much like Paul and Silas, we understand that the foundations of prisons are broken. Listen, when I came to God, I was a mess. I've never, ever struggled to change things on my own. I have always counted on encounters with God to transform me. Why? Because the project is far bigger than I am And if, if any man thinks that he can put off the old man and Then put on the new man without the presence of God Then we understand that we don't need God to change How is it from glory to glory as it were by the Spirit of the Lord how would that happen the Spirit of God is instrumental in our freedoms our liberties our transitions our bondages being broken but what if a church come in with the perspective i'm here today in this time of praise i'm here today to totally sell myself out to say god come nothing else is here except praise we don't look at people. We don't scrutinize. We don't do this or that. We don't do anything. We come in with a wholehearted focus on God. And guess what? God will come. And 90% of our personal problems, our upheavals and struggles and all that, they're all going to go away. One moment, one touch with God... Of the hem of his garment can transform all of the issues of life. But God doesn't respond when people are half-hearted. And I'm not trying to be mean, I'm just telling you facts. Jesus said, You gotta love me more than you love your mom and dad. You're gonna have to love me more than your brother and sister. You're gonna have to love me more than life itself. You just gonna have to love me with all your heart, your mind, your body, your strength. But if you don't, I understand you made a choice. And so it means that we come in here as individuals, not dependent on somebody else, individuals. This is my time to vertically connect with God. This is my time that I worship God. This is where God gets to speak to me. Remember, the Bible said that, you know, if you don't have a tongue for edifying the body, that you just speak to yourself and to God. Does God speak to you if you're speaking to Him? Yeah. What are your praises saying? God, I believe in you. God, you are faithful. God, you are the God of impossibilities. You, God. You, God. And put our emphasis on God. That's a vertical church because when that happens... Something happens on the inside of you. I never chose to be a pastor. I just told God when he told me I want you to pastor, I said, well, you got the wrong guy, because I hate that bunch. I said, that's the meanest, cruelest bunch of people I ever ran into. I'd only been saved about six months, and I just discovered all of the meanness of the church. But when God visited me and spoke to me, I want you to pastor my people. I want you to teach them. I said, I don't know anything. He said, I'm going to teach you. God touched my heart. And I started loving the unlovable. From that day forth, I became undefendable. I've never been offended. I've never been frustrated. I've never been discouraged. I've, I've wanted to say, God, I need to do other things. I'm not being successful as I think you want me to be. But I've never been put out. I've never been agitated. I, could, I, I just never have. And Eric travels with me all the time. Ask Eric if I've ever said anything that, that oh, I, just, I can't, them people, you're up No, absolutely not. I understand. We are human. And I understand that we are all under construction. I understand that you are fighting yourself Fighting your old man, and you're fighting the devil just like I am. But I've never been frustrated. Amen. Well, boy, I've heard you preach like you're frustrated. No, I've been after one lamb. That's what I've been after. So, we as a people are going to have to get focused when we come into a place of worship that we are vertical. Now, what that's going to entail is, how many of you uh, have been with me for several years? Then you know that I have periodically stepped into a worship service and said, you know what, we're going to start all over because about what we're doing is about as lukewarm as you can get. And so we just start out back over even after we've been in it uh, half an hour or so. Yeah, well, you know what? Happy days are here again. Yep. absolutely. We are going to be a focused people. And whether you think that's standing too long or not, what we're going to do is encourage you to just fall down and lay on the floor. If your legs get tired, just fall down. Keep your hands out and put your faith in the carpet, sleep, deceive us, do whatever you want. Okay? Hallelujah. There you go. Leonard, I read those two sections of Scripture I wanted you to read. First is 2 Chronicles 5, verse 11 through 14. Give him a microphone there, fellas. I got
1: one. Oh, he's got one. Okay. And it came to pass, when the priests were come out of the holy place, for all the priests that were present were sanctified and did, not, and did not then wait by course. Also the Levites, which were the singers of them of Asaph, Heman, and Jeduthun, with their sons and their brethren being arrayed in white linen, having cymbals, psalteries, and harps stood at the east end of the altar, and with them a hundred and twenty priests sounding with trumpets. It came, it came even to pass as the trumpeters and the singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lift up their voice with the trumpets, the cymbals, and instruments of music and praise the Lord saying, For he is good and his mercy endures forever that then the house was filled with the cloud, even the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house.
0: Now, notice, not one person, not 20 of them, came into unity. In other words, there's a purpose. And the purpose is that that cloud comes. Those men were
1: never the same. Leonard second. Now uh, when Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering, and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. And the priest could not enter into the house of the Lord, because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. And when all the children <coughs> of Israel saw how fire came down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement, And worshiped and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Then the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord. And King Solomon offered a sacrifice of twenty and two thousand oxen, a hundred and twenty thousand sheep. So the king and all the people dedicated the house to God, house of God. And the priests waited on their offices, and the Levites with instruments of music of the Lord, which David the king had made to praise the Lord, because His mercy endures forever, when David praised by their ministry, and the priests sounded trumpets before them, and all Israel stood. Notice the dedication
0: out of the presence they stood. There wasn't one sitting; they were standing. Children stood when they read the law. The Bible said that they stood every person in the camp of Israel that came out of Egypt stood. Children stood. Old people stood. Animals stood. Because of the reverence and the respect and the honor of God's presence. There is no replacing it. It's better than silver and gold. And it should be something that we are pursuing, not just lackadaisically living for. We have got to be Touched by God and it says that as they came in that even the priests and the Levites could not stand but notice out of that that their that presence drew them to a place that they bowed before the Lord something very abnormal in the midst of people what were they doing they were being touched by God transformed again and then the priests and the Levites carried out their office If we really want to see the things and the gifts and the talents, the purposes, and the callings of God manifest in our life, you are not going to get them out of a 12-week teaching on the gifts. And when I say the gifts, I don't mean the nine gifts of the Spirit, but the nine gifts that are found in Romans. You aren't going to get them out of 12 weeks. Listen, I've known people been through those 12 weeks so much, They can memorize and quote to you what the page is going to say. But the problem is, they've never been touched by God. But if you get touched by God, there's a passion born in you that you'll do whatever needs to be done. And you will strive to fulfill that passion. So we're going to do that. The fourth thing that I'm really going to start concentrating on are relationships. Relationships, yeah. Everybody has, like, five spheres of relationships. That means, like, a, Daniel, you got friends at work? Sure you do. I mean, you would call him. Yeah, hey, I know him at work. You would be friendly to him. You would be kind to him. David, you, you yeah, you got friends at work. Uh, Bill, you got friends at work? Sure. There is friends there. Uh, Bill, you got friends in your community? They aren't the same ones that are at work, right? They're different. So you have work friends. You have community friends. You have social friends. Whether your kid's on soccer, baseball, whatever it might be, they're your friends at that place. Now, it doesn't go any further than that. They're just your friends. And then you have friends at church. (laughs) But the problem is that there is no spiritual thread among those friendships. And that's why people in our church are no more valuable than the people you work with. So we're going to start teaching on relationships. Now relationships require a great sacrifice. They're not easy. Because in order to really have a relationship, you have to unveil who you really are. You have to be very vulnerable to be a friend. See, this is why confess your faults one to another just doesn't happen in the church. Why? Because the people that you are friends with, without a spiritual thread, hear how you reveal the secrets of other people's lives. How you talk about other people. How can they trust you when the people you're talking about have no right or foundation to trust you? You've already proven yourself untrustworthy you can't keep a secret and so you repeat a matter listen that's an abomination we're going to have to get a hold of our tongue and we're going to get a hold of our life amen Amen. we're going to have to well I just think this you know what you're not called to think I think lots of things but God just says you don't think like that son (laughs) but God I'm telling you what my opinion yeah well it don't mean much Listen, God knows the intent and the thought of the word that you speak before it ever comes out of your mouth. And we have no right to speak things that grieve the Holy Ghost. Now, all of this is rounding us off to the point that we're going to have to rise to a new level of surrender and obedience. God's going to have to become more important to us than we are to ourselves. Hmm? Now, out of these relationships, I mean, we're going to have to be vulnerable. Relationships can be very hurtful because in all relationships, there can be betrayal as Jesus. He said, I call you my friends. Therefore, I'm revealing these secrets to you. You know, we can never, ever walk in any more depth than we are Friends with other people, and the body of Christ has taken on the nature of the world. We are all shallow friends, yeah. Yeah. all shallow friends. Counseled another pastor today, man, pastor, I'm, I just you know I'm at the end of my ropes, and you know da 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 da, and all this kind of stuff, and already been in pornography, been da 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 da, but. He needed a friend. And when he come, I've been friends with him for years. I've helped finance him in other countries. I helped finance things he was doing. And I always tell him, look, whatever you need, call me at any time, please, listen. Don't walk alone. I'll help you. And so when he's going through this, he comes today and unveils this on the verge of just giving up. But he left... And even though he unveiled all that stuff I still don't see him any different than he was before he come in that office why because in order to see his weaknesses I'd have to really look at my own and I'm sure that mine are far worse than his oh you're doing some worse in uh, pornography stop no but pornography is not as bad as disunity pornography is not any worse than criticizing your brother letting anger and uh confusion come out of your mouth it's not any worse than giving your members over to the devil not any worse than you not loving your brother i'd much rather work with a guy that was hooked on uh, in prison and addicted to pornography than I would somebody that was loveless towards his brother. That guy's in the grips of death. And so, these things, these relationships are going to move into marriages. Marriages. Divorces don't happen because people love each other. They happen because people refuse to love each other refuse to love each other anybody can be in a servant to marriage in other words you do that and I'll do this and a couple times a week we'll come together and hoochie goo and life will be good that's not marriage get a house cleaner I probably shouldn't say get a prostitute but I'm I'm trying to make a point, so but I'm not going to make that point. I'm not going to say that. But if you treat your wife like one, a housekeeper or a prostitute, you ain't got a marriage. That's true. And I tell Phyllis, if all you're going to use me for is that stuff, honey, I just feel unwanted. I, I've had to, you know, so, but, no, I, I can't blame her, I mean. I look at that in the mirror, too. I say, whoa, what a magnificent species that is. And no wonder God only made one. All right, now, and then in these relationships, we really have to have a spiritual thread in these. And that means that we are going to join our faith together. Who do you think was at the prayer meeting that prayed for Peter and the prison doors were opened by the angel? Do you think it was a group that said, hey, we're going to be praying for Peter tonight. Why don't you you come on over? It was a spiritual thread involved in the friendships that they had. And so if that spiritual thread is put through there, then that spiritual thread will be a governor and a guideline that will bind us together. And this is going to be organic. I'm not setting up any of these programs. This is all going to be organic. In other words, it's going to be born out of your heart. It's going to be born out of the change that God does. Program is not what we need. We need a touch from God. I'm not saying that we aren't in relationship with God, so don't, don't give me all that stuff. Please, just don't. Facebook is stupid enough. Don't put that on it. Uh, but we need to have spiritual threads. I meet with men every morning about 530 Sometimes I'm late. Sometimes they just say, you know, forget it. I stayed up too late. I've been up. I just went to bed at 4 o'clock. Whatever it is. But most of the time, I'm there. I pray with them, talk to them, study with them. Then I pray with them again. And so I have friends that when I'm going through something or we see something, that we can say, hey, you know what? We need to pray for so-and-so today. Uh, somebody may say, you know what? Why don't we just fast today for? That's friends with a spiritual horde. It's not just two friends, but now it's the Spirit of God in the midst of that interweaving itself with our lives. And it can't be easily broken. But if we organically let God touch us and have friends and we join ourselves, not cliquishly, but join ourselves together and we start watching for the brethren. And that when we see one fighting, a family struggling, individuals wrestling with things, that we do what the church did for Paul in Philippians 1.19. I know that this shall turn unto my salvation because of your prayers and the supply of the Holy Ghost. Many people, in the kingdom of God are bound because there has not been another that has raised the ante from 1,000 to 10,000. Yeah. And Paul said, every time I think about your love for God, I'm motivated to pray. Motivated to pray for you. And this is what I pray. Paul was passionate. He said, I prayed till Christ... Come into you now I'm praying until Christ be formed in you. He was on a lifelong prayer journey for the well-being of people. And when we can look people and walk by or hear something and walk by. There's something wrong with the core of our faith. There's something wrong with our connection to the family of faith. There's something wrong. I'm not criticizing you again. I'm not. What I'm telling you is we need to move out of where we're at because there is a day and an hour that is coming that we are going to have to stand together and a remnant is going to be saved. Not the garment, a remnant. And I don't want to leave anybody behind. I'm not going to leave anybody. I'm going to pray as much as I possibly can. I'm going to get involved as much as I possibly can. So in this relationship, we're going to be talking about marriage. We're going to talk about friendships. And then we're going to be talking about parenting. Because again, if we don't parent our children, the confidence that God had in one man, Abraham will teach his children. What was he going to teach them? Not tie their shoes, not play a video game, not to ride a bike. He's going to teach them in the ways of faith. And if our generation is stolen by the Pharaohs and the Herods of our time, we turn them over into the hands of a government without a home influence, then you know what? We're never going to have anybody be delivered that God can use for a next generation. Not going to happen. And so we need to learn how to parent. You say, "Man, I don't want to hear some of your stories. You beat, beat, no, no, no. I, I, didn't. Look, I didn't say beat. God said that. Well, I just don't agree with God." Said Doctor Spock, or Spook, or what's that guy kid's name? The yeah. If God is here and Doctor Seuss is here, who would you trust your children to? You're right. No. Some lady said, I don't like the word beat. I said, well, you know what? God used the word beat. I didn't coin that phrase. God did. Well, I just don't like it. Send him an email. I'm sure you'll get an answer. You, you know, you see, God doesn't care about being politically correct with you. God is interested in this. Listen, listen to what I'm saying. You have got to grasp the spirit that is behind what God is saying instead of trying to make it black and white. Paul said that the letter killeth, but it's the spirit that maketh alive. You know, David was raised under the law, but he wrote 150 Psalms. He's seen the spirit of God in the law. And we need to start reading the Bible the way that it should be read with the spirit, the nature, the character, and the compassion of God. God uses great strong words like beat because of the intensity of the battle that you're going to fight against the flesh to bring that young child to a place that they serve God. He doesn't get joy you beating your child, but he also wants them to understand authority and that there are repercussions for every action. Those are the four things that we're going to start capitalizing on and pushing. Hopefully it's going to grow organically because I'm not going to push it and I'm not going to do anything that I know that God wants to do in our life. It doesn't have to have a program. It doesn't have to have a road map. It has the spirit of God. And if we will allow God to nurture us and bring us together, then you know what we can see God in a great way. You know, I do I've been honored Uh, and humbled by God to be allowed to do crusades. Now, I don't do them by a pattern. I don't do this, 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 this. I do those things because of an influence of the Holy Ghost upon my life. If I could put it in a textbook, I'd give it to every Christian. But The bottom line is the textbook would just lead you to a great time of surrender, death, change, and resurrection power. But you can't get the last without doing the first. So we give people just instruction books. They don't mean anything because you have to grasp the spirit of the anointing, grasp the spirit of the nine gifts, grasp the spirit of God to reach the world. And if you don't have that, then it'll do nothing for you. If you think I'm smart enough and nice enough to be invited before parliament and be invited to what we're doing in Uganda and around the world, most of the time when they want to have breakfast or lunch with me, I tell Eric, I don't want to do that, Eric. Well, they wanted to, Pastor. I said, well, I'm going to the room and have room service. I am the least, yeah, thank you, least social guy. I'm not interested in their titles. I'm not interested in any of that. Take me to the crusade ground so God can do what his spirit wants to do. And if I never have lunch with you, that's great. I meet most guys, in the church where I'm getting ready to say, hey, man, how you doing? Great. I, I'm not there for accolades. Not there for somebody to know me. I'm going to leave that country, and only Jesus is going to be left. And he's going to be known among the people. And if all they do is say, yeah, that wild guy from Ohio, that'll be enough. And even if they don't say that, it's enough. I want Jesus to be known. Let's catch the spirit Of what God wants us to do. Let's catch the spirit. That when we come together. We give God praise. We grant unto him. The invitation. Come. Come. And God will come. When God comes. We'll be changed. When God comes. We'll be transformed. Into Christ likeness. And it'll just be a way of life, not a formula. Amen? Yeah. Amen? Amen. It's not a formula. It's, it is a transformation. I can't tell you how I got here. I don't know. I, all I know is I kept putting one foot in front of the other. Well, you're a great church builder. You, are you kidding me? Sit down talk to me for 20 minutes. I'm stupid. Well, fellas, you said that the other day. You know, <laughs> no, no. Here's what she said, honey, don't try to fix that. I told her, I said, Phyllis, I get so tired of you telling me that I can't do anything. Well, it's the truth. You turn the screw, it costs us $100 to have it fixed. That's okay. So when I say, oh, I fixed that, honey, she said, never mind, I'm calling Chris. You know, Chris came out to my house to undo the... I got a little clogged, Phyllis kept telling me. But quit putting that salad and stuff. Quit putting that stuff down the dishwasher. I mean the garbage disposal. I just kept doing it, kept doing it. I'm figuring that's what a garbage disposal is for. Now we have a garbage disposal that never garbage disposes. We're not allowed to put anything under it, through it, but water. We could have saved 150 bucks, But... 300, no, no, I'm talking about the, let me tell my story, (laughs) and so it gets clogged up, so here I bring Chris, the master craftsman, the jack of all trades, he comes out, works on it half a day, pastor, man, I got to get bigger machines than I got, and I thought, you're kidding me, man, I I think I could have done that myself, so then he comes back, Rent-all. I mean, man, the, the Lord Jesus, bigger than the front door. Got to saw the window out to get it in. He's going to, he cleans it. Ah, oh, Pastor, I can't get it like this. Got to go down and cut into the pipes. Oh, Jesus, I'm thinking, can you get this done before Phyllis gets home? She only got a week, man. I'm thinking Chris is going to have to rebuild the whole house when he gets done. Well, he had to go through a pipe, had to cut through a pipe, go down. And finally he says, I just found this stuff just stacked up and packed in that pipe. So for years when Phil's been telling me, quit doing it, it's gonna clog it up. It'd been clogging up. Her prophecy came to pass. So 300 and whatever dollars later, Chris leaves the house and Phyllis gets the bill And you know the story. I've never heard the end of it yet. (laughs) Now, listen, we're going to let God do this. And God is going to help us. I don't know about you, I don't want to be the same. I don't want to be common. I don't want to be ordinary. I don't want to be a building. I don't want to be a sign. I don't want to just be a symbolism of the cross. I want to have the one that hung on the cross living through me Amen. and I want more than I've ever had because I will need it yes. I'm not under any way shape or form thinking that I'm strong enough to endure to the end without God Amen. I'm not Amen. Right. and I need God Amen. to help me finish the race Amen. to keep the course So that I can receive the crown of life So that's what we're going to do It may not seem different to you But it's majorly different for me I'm actually having to talk to my staff To help me To take instruction where they're strong Or like Kylan the know-it-all I already did that This is just a repeat for me I thought (laughs) But He's been there, done that fourth part of the trinity and uh (laughs) so when jesus shows up on sunday morning he says hey kylan is it okay if i do this yeah go ahead yeah i think that's in line with what i wanted so and you know i'm just kidding but it does mean that i have to rely on their strengths because i have lots of weaknesses so that's what we're going to be doing and you're going to be seeing these things incorporated They're going to be organically happening. We're not having programs. You don't need a program. I don't want a program. I hate programs. So we're going to let God be God and transform us into a unit that we're going to push forward. Amen. Praise God. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to bless these people, God. And Father, I just thank you for all that you've done, what you're doing. God, you could have just moved on without taking us with you. God, you could have just moved on without changing us. You could have just moved on without stirring us. You could have just moved on, and we wouldn't have even known it. It would have been church as usual. But God, for some reason, you said, no. I believe in these people just like you did, Abraham. And I know these people. They will do what I'm asking them to do. God, I thank you for people of a willing heart, a readiness, God, of mind, and God, just a tenacity, God, to join ourselves with what you need for us to do for our families, friends, for our faith, and God, for the lost. Now, God, just be glorified in us, greater than you've ever been, in Jesus' name.